Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory. We taped our last two editions back-to-back about two weeks ago, and the really cool thing about time is just nothing changes. Everything freezes, nothing moves during certain periods. You can take two weeks off, go into a slight coma, and everything is exactly the same as when you wake up. Or the world is on fire and everything is wildly different. Um... I obviously have some opinions on Chelsea. If you guys listen to this podcast, you won't be surprised to know that I have a take on everything turning upside down. Uh, But I've also advocated pretty heavily for trying to keep sport and politics separate. Uh, So I'm a bit torn on how to approach it. But in this case, they're so intertwined. I think it would be disingenuous to not express some viewpoint on it. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the Chelsea uh, section at the very end. Uh, If you don't want to hear politics with your soccer, then I completely respect that, completely get it, and uh, would encourage you to kind of join us next week when hopefully we've moved on through the topic. Uh, But if you are interested in what I have to say on it, then then please stick around. But overall, uh, I think I would be remiss to say that um, obviously – Soccer is not all that important. Football is not all that important compared to what's happening uh, in Europe right now. Uh, Obviously, all of our thoughts of the things that matter the most are with the people of Ukraine and all those affected by uh, the developments in that region. And we are just here to try to keep your mind off of it for the first 30 minutes and then kind of bring the last for the last 10 minutes. We might have to remind you of it a little bit. Uh, So I hope that sounds okay for a game plan. Uh, and I am personally thankful for the distraction rather than continuing to follow the news as, as much as I do and think about something else for a little bit. So, Brett, what do you think about that? You feel you good with that plan? I'm good, man. Go with whatever. You signed my check, so I have to be good with whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe get a little extra zero after saying something nice about me for once. Um, all right. So let's get on with the distractions because this is an amazing weekend in the Premier League. Yeah, the I'm super excited. The three primary races every single year are at the top, at the top four, and at the bottom. And this is a bit of a moving weekend for all three races. We've got great games at the top, and we have uh, some of the major players in the relegation scrap facing off against big six teams. So we are going to try to cover it all during our time together today. But no better place to start than with uh, the Manchester Derby. So we have Manchester City at first at 66 points versus Manchester United fourth at 47 points. This game is Sunday morning at 11.30 a.m. Manchester City is minus 255. Manchester United is plus 700. The draw is plus 400. Uh, Manchester City minus a goal and a half is plus 110. Manchester United plus a goal and a half is minus 125. That's as close as you're going to come to an even bet on the day. So... If you need additional distraction, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our last episode where three of your favorite people on the Extra Points Podcast Network picked their team. And much to my disgust, but eventual acceptance, Cousin Sal is the newest Manchester United fan. So this will be the first derby he gets to experience, and I think it's going to be a great one. Uh, I'm playing purely on gut feel here, Brett. With all the bad stuff happening in the world right now, we deserve a proper title race to distract us. So I am backing the narrative, and I want a real tight game here with a lot of back and forth that has a lot of storylines that come out of it. There's never been a doubt about United's talent, and they played a lot better than their scoreline suggested last game. Uh, their XG was 2.66 despite ending with a nil-nil draw. Oh, Toby throwing out some XG. Let's go. All oh, right. Yeah. 
I needed something to look away from the news. I finally looked up a stat or two. So <laughs> that that 2.66, it felt like twice that. Like I think they could have walked away with four or five goals of that game pretty yeah, easily if, if Fernandez um if Fernandez was played like half up to his ability. He just just seemed like he wasn't there uh and wasn't able to hit targets again and again off of just pristine service. Uh, meanwhile, City fell to an inspired Spurs performance two weeks ago and then slept walked against Everton, winning on a lucky bounce in the second half after getting outplayed in the first and escaped a horrible VAR mistake to hang on in the end. So take it all together, and I like a tight game here. So give me Manchester United with a goal and a half at minus 125. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of on the same page. And you know, lately, like United's performances, I think part of it is the performances either haven't been great or the results haven't been great for United under Rangnick, right? So OGS, like that team just looked dysfunctional. And the crazy part about it, and I think why maybe, you know, I mean, I think there's always going to be a little degree of turmoil around United until they win another title. Um, but I think, you know, the kind of the general like discontent with the Rangnick hire and what's going on right now is because if you look at their actual points per match, under OGS, they had 1.71 points per match. Under Rangnick, it's 1.77. So you're sitting here going, we fired this guy. This was supposed to solve our problems. Like he was an overmatch manager. You know, you and I probably joked he was maybe one of the bottom three managers in the Premier League, if not the worst manager in the Premier League. And so you're placing him in his 14 games. He's basically was getting you the same results, like at least in terms of pure points, as Rangnick has in his 13 games. So it's like, oh, nothing has changed with United. Um, and, you know, they're still the same dysfunctional team. Like City's going to, you know, dog walk them in this game. Whatever is going to happen, right? And I really think that, like, we're probably missing that United is actually really improved. So the points per game may be the same. But under Ragnick, they actually have a plus 12 XG differential. Under OGS, it was minus three. And then in actual goals under OGS, it was basically they were break even. And then under Rangnick, they're plus 10. Now, again, in soccer, you know, they do play a bounce schedule at the when it all evens out at the end of the season. We've had so many matches move. You know, there's always some caveats to that number. Like United hasn't exactly played like a murderer's row of opponents in Rangnick's stretch here. But we're starting to see a little bit. They're a little more aggressive, a lot of possession, like pressing. And then they're just defensively, they've just been able to tighten up. Um, And I think the thing that we might be seeing with City too is, you know, Grealish was supposed to be a huge boon for them, right? Like he was supposed to be another guy that was like basically going to carry the torch after De Bruyne. But when we see these games that really matter to City, like who's out there? It's Gundogan, it's De Bruyne, it's Bernardo Silver, it's Mares, like it's, and Foden or, you know, Sterling probably takes like the other attacking slot. And you know, Grealish like hasn't really allowed for this like squad, ro- squad rotation to like keep guys fresh. And I think, and this is more like me trying to read the tea leaves in a really crafty way, which if you've seen my five point pickoff picks is probably not a great idea, <laughs> but um, they just haven't been that good. So the, the city's put up like great numbers lately, but a lot of it's been, they smashed Brentford who is, is plummeting into the relegation race. Right. They smashed Norwich, who is the worst team in the Premier League. They beat the shit out of Sporting, where they the scoreline was way more flattering than what they actually produced. And Sporting, you know, plays in the Portuguese League, which is a pretty big drop-off compared to the Premier League, which is the richest and most talented league in the world. 
you know, but against Everton, they didn't look good. And Everton is not good. Even though your boy, Frankie Lampard's there, you know, he hasn't like turned Everton around to be a magically scrappy squad. Um, you know, and then Southampton away, they played them pretty much even. Um, and Spurs, obviously they lost at, at the Etihad, you know? Um, so I think there might be some signs of maybe wear and tear of, you know, just maybe like a little bit of a late season lull here with city. So like, between United, just I think getting a bad rap in terms of like their performances on the whole haven't been that bad and they've tightened up defensively. Like, I really do feel like this Derby may not be exciting to watch, but I don't see this as a game where City's going to run away with it. So, my picks are going to be like in your same vein. Like, I like the drop plus 370. I think definitely one out of every three times this match is played with the intensity that's going to be behind it with a top four spot on the line for. Uh, United. And then obviously the title race is now heating up for city. It's going to be pretty intense. And, you know, I think the other one, my, my thing, you know, I love the long shot. This is going to be two really good defensive teams going after each other. You know, there's going to be a lot of pressing out of possession. These, these teams tighten things up at the back. So the no score tie at plus 1300. Oh, I need a rainmaker, baby. I need a rainmaker. (laughs) Well, look, I agree with what you're saying about Regnick, and uh, it helps when he gets Harry Maguire out of the lineup. It helps when Paul Pogba looks involved like he did. I mean, I knew that game ended nil-nil, but Pogba looked more lively than he had in weeks. That, like, flick he gave to Alonga when Alonga shot it wide was was just a work of art. And uh, Alonga himself has been a bright spark for United, giving them uh, cover for, for Greenwood. So... I I like what I'm seeing from them in general. I still think Arsenal have a better chance to finish top four than than they do. Um, but I am starting to enjoy watching Manchester United play a little bit more. Ooh, that hurts. Uh, that hurts to say, doesn't it? <laughs> well, look, if I gotta watch them, I might as well root for it to be exciting. I'm not rooting for him to win, but it's yeah. better to watch Paul Pogba, you know, get involved and and uh and Alonga light things up and not watch Maguire just completely muck the game up through the center and then get beat and try to drag a guy back like it's more entertaining this way so right. I'm much happier in that regard uh so in terms of my prop I'm going completely opposite away from you which is probably Ooh. a bad thing because I agree with uh, everything that you said although I just can't get away from this idea of narrative and I think we're going to see an exciting also match the dog shit out of me in the five time pickoff so let's <laughs> uh, let's just go ahead and stop pretending that that's not happening <laughs> yeah and may, maybe this is just you know me looking for some wish fulfillment of wanting to spend a really exciting Sunday morning watching these two teams play but I'm going with both teams to score yes at minus 120 with all the pressing, with the attacking firepower on both sides, with uh, what's at stake for both teams. I expect to see an offensive game, and I think both of them can squeak one in. If you're looking for a little bit longer odds, this is the kind of game where Ronaldo scores. Um, He's plus 280 as an anytime goal scorer. He obviously loves the big moment. He was very frisky. I know he doesn't give you much outside the box, but he was making very intelligent runs in the last few weeks and getting himself into great spaces. And I think he hit the post at least once, if not twice last game. Uh, He looked really good. And he's also the penalty taker. So if uh, you don't believe that VAR is going to keep saving uh, Manchester City from some airheaded mistakes, then he might get to put one in the back of the net from the spot. So I'm going to take yes at minus 120, but, uh, you know, off air, I might also have a little bit of action on Ronaldo to score. Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously he has not been great over the second half of the season. He came to United, you know, he had that great run early on. Right. And then he slowed down a lot and we get a lot of talk about the age, a lot of talk about the fit with Rangnick, but on the whole, 
when you look at the non-penalty expected goals, like Ronaldo is the clear choice for United to score. And then when you throw in the penalty factor, which, you know, we talked about this earlier um, in the, in the year that, you know, there's, there's a one in five chance penalties call in the match. Right. So, you know, that always be odds for, for someone like Ronaldo. And it's the odds. Exactly. I think, you know, with his name brand recognition and being a global icon, like, you know, he was always at like uh, plus 130, plus 110. He's even, I think it was minus one game to be an anytime goal scorer, which is completely insane. Right. But because he struggled recently, the odds are starting to adjust back the other way. And now not that he's a value bet because he's just like a public team. He'll always be a little bit depressed on the odds he should be getting, but you're taking yeah. much less of a name brand hit right now than you were two months ago. No, I agree completely. It's, it's it's definitely there are certain players like you said like their their floor is always going to be pretty high and like Ronaldo's floor for an anytime goal scorer prop is always going to be high because like you said the casual fan is going to see his name they're going to want to bet on him to score uh, but it, you're definitely buying low on him right now just because of the fact that he has struggled in front of the net he's had some really good games where he's you know created a bunch of like you said a bunch of uh, chances goals that could have went either way basically shots that could have went either way. Um, yeah. And I mean, this is a big, this is a huge match for them. Like this is a huge match for both teams. And that's why, yeah, I know you and I are excited for the weekend, but like, it does seem like one of those things where this is where Ronaldo just makes that fucking run and just buries that shot into the upper right hand corner from a crazy angle. You know, it just feels like one of those games to me. Yeah, and look, Liverpool's breathing down Man City's neck. They got bailed out from dropping two more points against Everton. Uh, Liverpool's, you know, six points back with a game in hand, and plus they have a head-to-head matchup coming up in April. So I, I love that the fact that this race is now something we actually have to talk about again. I mean, the last time we brought it up whatsoever, I think we spent thirty seconds on the topic in total. Yeah, we I mean, just we thought it was hand, over. Hand on the trophy, but <laughs> yeah. here we are, and between Man City, you know, flattening out a little bit, and. I don't know if they're regressing to the mean, but not just squeaking out 12 straight victories. Uh, There was obviously some uh, level for regression to have. And Liverpool, who we're about to talk about now, kind of just grinding out win after win after win and and being a pest that won't go away. I'm excited that we're in the spring and we might actually have a title race. So I hope that that continues on Sunday. Yeah, I love it, man. Uh, So let's... Let's see if Liverpool could do their part going up against West Ham on Saturday, uh, putting a little bit of pressure on City before their before the derby. Liverpool is second at 60 points versus West Ham fifth at 45 points. This game is Saturday at 12:30 p.m. Eastern. Pool is minus 320. West Ham is plus 900. The draw is plus 475. Pool minus a goal and a half is minus 110, and West Ham is plus 100. Uh, so another another way that you can kind of uh, use use the spread to create a pretty even bet between both sides. Uh, and that's the way I'm leaning, Brett. I mean, I'm just going to get it right out of the way right now. I, I'm hoping that Poole wins in some ways just for the title race. I mean, I've given up hope that Chelsea's going to catch either one of those teams. So I just want to see some drama at the top as we continue to push through to the end of the season. But I like West Ham to keep this game close. Uh, they've only lost by more than a goal once in the league the entire season. They beat Poole when they played in November. They have a massive knack for keeping games tight. And Liverpool also has been keeping games tight uh, recently. I mean, you know, I'm sure I'll talk a little bit more about the banger that they played with Chelsea last weekend. But we can't forget that that ended in a yeah. draw. They allowed Norwich to squeak back within a goal uh, in the FA Cup during the week. And while they've got a great run of victories going right now, they're not 4-0-5-0-6-0 right now. I mean, they're banging out 1-0-2-1-0-0 games. Uh, and so given the odds, if I could get West Ham 
to stay within a goal this game with their defense and with them having so much to play and how important a, a point against pool would be for their top four hopes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take it at the plus 100. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I go back and forth on West Ham, right? Like everybody knows, especially when we did our podcast, if you listen to that, that, you know, David Moore is like the reason I kind of became an Everton fan. Right. And his teams are known for like that defensive consistency. I mean, you probably remember back in the early aughts and late aughts, like when you played David Moyes Everton teams, like it was ugly. You knew exactly what the game yeah, was going to look like. Pain in the ass. Yeah, it, it just it, it sucked. Yeah, it really did. And the weird part is, is like this West Ham team has been like really inconsistent, at least towards the end. Um, it didn't help too that you know Kurt Zuma was booting animals around his apartment, and he was a really big part of kind of the early season thing because he's such a mobile center back. Like you've had, you know, you had Zuma for a long time at Chelsea, right? And his thing is his mobility, his aerial ability. Like he can dominate there. And like Craig Dawson and Diop, like the two guys that kind of, you know, marshal for him when he's not there, you know, Dawson's really good on set pieces, but he's just not good in open space. Um, and Diop is kind of the same way um, as Dawson. And those little things like that, it's it, when you're a team like West Ham and you're kind of the little engine that could, you know, you're in this fight, for European spots to try to win Europa League, you know, you need everybody available and rowing in the same direction. And I think little stuff like that, sweet check being out, things like that, their midfield just not having depth where like their only rotation in the central midfield with, you know, one of your, one of your homeboys, Declan Rice is Mark Noble, right? And I think we're starting to see that. And I think that's why we're seeing these really weird waves of performances from West Ham where they, you know, genuinely get outplayed by leads at home a Leeds team that has been terrible um, or, you know, draw against Leicester who has been also bad and be like pretty thoroughly outplayed um, to then going to wolves and then just, you know, having the classic David Moyes game one Oh, no chances, like shut them down, get the goal and shut up and, and set up shop. And then that's it. So they're just weird to me. Like I, I can't put my finger on them. I think it's partially because like the premier league has like two or three very consistent teams. I would probably say three with Chelsea and everybody else is always going to have these like crazy little waves. Um, but with that said, like Liverpool has been leaking these really weird goals like that just don't reflect. And I, you can't tell if it's like when they get these score lines or they get up 2-0, if they take their foot off the gas a little bit, or if it's just kind of very in striking. Um, I still think Liverpool at minus one and a half at minus one fifteen is the best bet here. Am I super confident in it? Hell no. Uh, West Ham could easily junk this game up and make it really tough on them. Um, but that said, Liverpool fucking smoked Leeds a week ago, and it was one of the most impressive. They created five expected goals in a Premier League game, and I don't have it in yeah. front of me like where that ranks in terms of like all time since XG data has been kept, but it was fucking impressive. Like They smashed the dog shit out of Leeds. Um, and with West Ham being up and down and not quite as tight defensively, I think we maybe want to give them credit for um, I do think there's a couple goals here for Liverpool and, you know, West Ham is basically a crazy set piece or Jared Bowen magic from needing one. Um, but the two Oh plus six fifty scoreline to Liverpool, like that's it's, I hate doing specific scorelines, but one to three goals to me seems like Liverpool's range and zero to one seems like West Ham's in a big way. So like that two Oh for the plus six fifty just seems like a fun little, thing where you're taking a big part of the range and trying to get really specific and hit it. 
I absolutely love when you take exact scores because you are right on for 85 minutes and then you always lose it in the, in the last. So it it brings me so much joy every single time. Yeah, you because you get to craft the text message to point it out every time. <laughs> oh, I just know what's coming. It's I'm giddy. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat just waiting to see how you get boned this time. Uh, so for my prop bet, um, it's the, I'm taking the mirror image of the one I took in the Derby. Both teams to score no at minus 105. So I get a David Moyes team and I get a Virgil van Dyke led team and I only need one of them to keep a clean sheet and I get even money for it. I mean, I don't know if I'd bet my house on that, but I think it's better than a coin flip and I'm getting coin flip odds. So that is going to be my prop for this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's good, man. And, and again, the thing that we always talk about too is like watch Liverpool's midfield. If, if Fabinho and Thiago are starting in the same midfield, especially if Hendo joins them as the third, that's going to really muddy up this game and bets like that are going to look really good. Yep. All right. Well, let's see what other games look good right after this break. Okay. We are back. And the three games that we have remaining this week, uh, have both top four and relegation implications all over the country. Uh, Let's start at Watford. Watford is 19th at 19 points versus Arsenal, 6th at 45 points. This game is Sunday at 9 a.m. Watford is plus 550. Arsenal is minus 175. The draw is plus 310. Arsenal, minus half a goal, stays at minus 175. If you like Watford to nick a point, that is plus 155. Uh, So (laughs) I know this is repetitive, but... Arsenal's going to play a junk game here. Yeah. Um, and Watford's going to play a junk game. So I think we're going to watch another Gooner S game that isn't all that exciting, or if you're watching it at all, that's going to be pretty sloppy, um, pretty physical, a lot, lot down the middle, not a lot of width. Uh, oh, I, but- I, smell, I smell a yellow card bet coming. No, usually, usually this would be a yellow card bet from me or a corner bet. Total corner under 10.5. It is minus 140. I know that because I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> but my read here is just going to be a lot simpler. Uh, if you want me to make a game pick, Arsenal needs this game. They're much better than Watford. And I think they can grind out a, a 1-0-2-0 win pretty easily. So I would take them minus 175 if you wanted a uh, money line bet. But my prop is a good team to do a good thing. Arsenal clean sheet win is plus 160. Uh, Watford, like most bottom table teams, they struggle to score against top sides. It gets the big six plus West Ham this season. They've gone scoreless in their last three matches. They've gone scoreless in six of 10 this year. And they've lost outright eight of those 10 games with one draw and one win against, do you remember who? Both teams, the draw and the win. The draw and the win. United? Manchester United. Yeah. So you want to know why I like Arsenal to eventually finish top four? Look at the uh, the five points that Arsenal has dropped against a team like Watford. Watch uh, Arsenal kind of make sure that they don't make the same mistake. And at the end of the season, that could be the difference between Champions League and Europa League. Yeah, so give me wild. Arsenal on the clean sheet win, plus 160. Well, I'm going to give you some good news then. Because um, a big part of – so Roy Hodgson's come and he, he has – Tighten things up a little bit than Ranieri or Ranieri when he was here. I'm saying that wrong twice. God, my mouth is not working today. But the point is, well, it's good uh, thing you're on a podcast then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
But the thing is, is um, Hodgson's come in and has tightened up a little bit. Like he's went to his like kind of like his four five one that uber defensive, very passive, like just jam the field with a bunch of midfielders and you know have some wingers and strikers that can get forward and launch a counter attack. Um, but a big part of like the early part when he they were looking you know pretty good and kind of strung together some results and some good underlying performances um, was Ismail Asar was playing. And the crazy part is Asar has played. Uh, 1,400 minutes. Well, 13, 1,344 to be exact. So to put that in perspective, Musa Sizoko leads the team in outfield minutes at 2,100. Okay, so he has missed the equivalent of basically almost nine full Premier League games compared to the highest outfield player at Watford. Yet, Sar leads the team and passes into the penalty area. He leads the team into carries, and that's, that's raw, that's total, that's not even per 90. He leads the team in progressive carries, and he leads the team and in, in, uh, carries into the penalty area per 90. And this is a guy that's missed a ton of games and he might be out again. And the problem for Watford is like when you lose a player like that, bad teams like Watford cannot replace guys like that. So it's really, really a huge deal when somebody like that misses, even though Sar doesn't score a shit ton of goals and, you know, always create assists. Like he gets the ball into dangerous spots and teams like Watford have maybe one or two of those guys. And when you take them away, it feeds into a good team doing a good team, a good thing and getting a clean sheet. Right. And so mine is actually going to be in that same vein. I was looking at, you know, kind of some of the game uh, parlays and, you know, one was like minus one and a half, but you're basically taking Arsenal to win one out. So I want, I want you to have a lot of fun this weekend. Like you need a lot of fun this weekend. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take another exact scoreline for my prop bet. And I'm going to take oh, Arsenal one Oh, at plus 500, because if I'm going to sit and take a game, a game parlay where they win under one and a half goals, I might as well just fucking take them one Oh for a little bit extra juice. Um, yeah. and so that's the one that I'm going to go with. I, I, I think that Watford is solid enough defensively under Hodgson that Arsenal's going to have trouble racking up multiple goals. And I, it's just really hard to see Watford putting one past um, our boy, Dude, our boy, our boy Ramsdale. You're basically becoming the Bielsa of betting. Like you don't, if you can lose four zero, you can win four zero. Anything in between is possible. Um, but he just got fired, <laughs> so well, I don't know. I if that's the a whole compliment point of right gambling. Now. Is when you're losing, you just bet more, right? Isn't that how you get back in it? Back that even. <laughs> I'm oh trying to win God, five no. pint. <sighs> No wonder you can't afford any lights. Why is, <laughs> why is your room so dark? Come on, man. Your electric bill get cut off from well, all these bad you know, chase bets. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point. I can't afford Now everybody knows. Also because the sun immediately sets and things get pitch black in Arizona. But starting it was sunny and now it's, it's dark out. Holy hell. Just like our last two weeks. <laughs> uh, all right. So let us continue to talk about relegation related teams by moving over to Spurs versus Everton. Spurs at seventh at 42 points versus Everton, 17th at 22 points. This game is Monday. We have a very long Premier League weekend, uh, Monday at 3 p.m. Spurs are minus 170. Everton is plus 500. The draw is plus 310. The Spurs, minus half a goal, remain at minus 170. Everton, to pick up at least a point, is plus 145. So uh, my thoughts on watching Everton last week, and and obviously I know you're going to be able to share a lot more of yours. Um, Pickford is definitely not a relegation-level t- keeper, as he showed in the second half versus a rolling city attack. And he'll potentially be put to the test again versus his Jekyll and Hyde Spurs teams. Uh, the Spurs, I mean, last five games – 
lost 2 0 to Wolves. Then they beat Manchester City 3 2. Then they lose to Burnley 1 0. Then they crush Leeds 4 0. And then they get knocked out of the FA Cup by Middlesbrough 1 0 midweek. So they have a clear zigzag pattern going right now. And I guess I like them to keep it going. Um, Doherty has been great for Spurs lately at the right wing back. And, oh, my God, I'm going to butcher this name. My apologies in advance. Kulishevsky. There we go. Uh, we is, got it. We got is it. Doing his, is doing his best Arjun Robin impression right now, just constantly cutting into his left foot over and over and over again. Uh, both of them are, are capable of taking advantage of the space that Kane and Sun create. I was so stinking jealous of the pass Kane played from his own half to Sun against Leeds for that fourth goal. Like, Lukaku never even finds his way into his own half, let alone being able to release <laughs> a pass like that. I mean, that was just unbelievable and made me just spit out with uh, with envy that my 100 you know, million pound striker would never be able to play a pass like that in, uh, in the Royal Blue. Um, Lampard's let him play attitude for Everton seems particularly dangerous against a side like, uh, like Spurs when they have it going. And I think it's right for Conte to continue to kind of wreak some havoc against, against a team like Everton. So give me Spurs minus half a goal at minus 170. Yeah. I mean, God, uh, the thing about Spurs is, you know, their underlying performances have actually been pretty good. It's just, it's showing you like how weird and dumb soccer is as a sport, right? Like when you, if you see anybody put out a graph of like Spurs underlying performances under Conte with, you know, more advanced data, there's a clear, huge uptick since Nuno was fucking out of there. Like they are, they are infinitely better in terms of the underlying numbers, but the results have been all over the place. So it is really hard. And Lampard is the same thing. And, and you've, you pointed out, you made the, the great point of like, he's a roll the ball type of manager. And that always is going to be like a high variance thing when you're not like the bet, clearly the best team or one of the best teams in the premier league. Um, so, I mean, for me, I, I just, I think you got to take Spurs. They're just better. They have better players. They have a better manager. I think you got to say, fuck the weird up and down results and kind of you know, kind of ride the underlying performance. So I think the Spurs with the spread is where I would park my money. Um, and uh, then, uh, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Yeah, a Spurs minus a goal and a half, you get a lot better odds. You get plus one sixty five. So would you? So would you rather have the minus one seventy for only a one goal victory, <sighs> or get plus one sixty five that this is more of a blowout? Because the more I hear you talk, and the less confidence I hear you have in your home squad, the more I'm leaning to. Hey, I think this could be a real ugly uh, loss for Everton, and I'd rather get you know the much better odds at plus one sixty five. Yeah, I think you do. I, I think I think this is a game too where you know Spurs can get up early. You know Everton and Lampard does want to push them forward. Everton uh, Lampard is a, a a manager that likes to press, but he doesn't organize a press very well, and that leads to games running away from them, right? And that's the two, that's how the one Oh game becomes the three Oh game. Um, so I think you take those odds because I do feel like there's a snowball effect in here. Um, you know, and Everton just still aren't good. You know, Dom Keller Lewin is, could be back out again. And Richarlison has just not been good when he's the main striker. So Everton putting up one or two goals seems like a stretch and Spurs scoring, scoring two to three seems, you know, not really that far fetched against the way Everton plays. So I do think you probably can, you know, juice that up a little bit and take the higher line for the better payout. Cool. What are you taking on the prop side? Oh, Harry Kane plus 110, baby. That's it. 
I, I would symbolically go turn my lights on right now, but I have wired headphones, so I can't get up and do that. But I would say that is the bet to put the lights back on. Harry Kane plus 110 scoring against Everton. Oh, I'll bet your light bill. I like it. All right, let's do it. Uh, I, and I like the idea that he's going to score because I'm taking over two and a half goals at minus 130. Uh, with the roll the ball out manager like Lampard and with you know the firepower that that Spurs have when things are clicking. Um, I think, you know, more than half the time here, probably two thirds of the time, I would expect there to be three goals between the sides and I don't have to pay that heavy of juice. So I'm going to go ahead and take that as my prop. And you'll probably hear that one again later. Let me ask you one last question before we move to the Chelsea Burnley game. Uh, as, a, as an Everton fan, the relegation race is getting real, real, real for you. So <laughs> look, looking at relegation odds right now, uh, Norwich is going down. They're minus 1100. I think, yeah. you know, everybody pretty much agrees on that. Watford is minus 430. That probably drops a little bit more if they fall to Arsenal this weekend, which I think both of us think is highly likely. But that, that race for uh, 18th is just a real barn burner right now. Burnley at minus 120, Leeds at plus 195, Brentford at plus 250, Everton at plus 430, uh, Newcastle at plus 900. So as an Everton fan, how nervous are you that Lampard's going to be the championship manager of the year next year? Or do you think he's going to be mid-table again at, uh, at the Premier League? <laughs> oh, man. If it wasn't, I'll, I'll put it this way. If it wasn't for Brentford and Leeds, who have plummeted backwards towards the relegation race, I would actually be legitimately nervous because for a while it started to look like, or for, I shouldn't say for a while, things always have changed very quickly for like two weeks. <laughs> when one of the weeks in which we recorded, it looked like Everton and Burnley were kind of facing off. And I kind of gave the whole thing about like, it's going to come down to Weghorst versus Dominic Calvert-Lewin <laughs> to kind of see what happens. Right. And we've seen that like, and I, and I have a fun stat for the Burnley thing about Weghorst and how much better Burnley has been with him on the pitch. And Calvert Loon's out again. So if Leeds and Brentford didn't exist, and I couldn't see the situ the the situation where they tumble past Everton, I would be a lot more fucking nervous because I, I don't think Newcastle's good by any stretch, but I think they're safely up. Um, but I do also think that the increased odds of Brentford or Leeds sliding, especially with Leeds hiring Jesse March, who is definitely not the type of manager that is the Roy Hodgson tighten things up at the back, like. You know, don't take risks. Like Jesse is going to be an extension. Uh, Jesse Morris is going to be an extension of Bielsa, and that may not be good. And the other part is it may not even matter really so much of what Marsh does for Leeds. It's going to matter whether Calvin Phillips and Patrick Banford can come back and play well. Um, if they can do that, then Leeds will probably be fine, and I'll be a little more nervous about Everton. But the odds of Banford, who has basically virtually missed the entire season, coming back and being on form are slim to none. Like we're running out of time here. So Leeds looks like they're in trouble. Burnley's going to barely scrape by if they stay up. Um, and I think Brentford is just, they're so smartly run. They're so good at set pieces. It's just going to be hard for me to see them going on an extended run where they just can't get any points to where they get pulled all the way down in this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think one of Leeds' advantages is how open that they're playing under Bielsa and now Marsh because they might, you know, get three points here and there. Yeah. Like I think uh, Burnley's going to have to grind out one point draws and, and hope they stumble into a victory uh, to a lesser extent. You know, Brentford falls a little bit into the same category, but you know, 
three one win equals three draws when it comes to relegation and trying to get to the safe zone. And so playing these open games and not playing for draws and playing for wins gives them always a puncher's chance to nick a game and and a win is just so massive at this point for staying up. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I it's inspired to see Burnley fight back. I mean, these odds have improved massively in their favor yeah, absolutely. Uh, since, the, since the last time we talked, but they're still minus for a reason, right? Yeah. I don't think Everton's actually going to go down, um, but oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe that it's even in a conversation right now. It is wild that it's basically the start of March and we're having serious conversations about Everton being in the relegation battle. Well, all right, let's talk about Burnley and whether they can get another draw this weekend. Uh, they <laughs> are at 18 at 21 points versus Chelsea, third at 50 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Burnley is plus 700. Chelsea is minus 215. The draw is plus 310. Chelsea minus half a goal remains minus two one, uh, 215. If you like Burnley to get a point here, it's plus 185. Um. All right, so this is the point where you should turn it off if if geopolitics isn't really your thing when you want to mix it with soccer. I I feel the same way, but or you want to mix it with sports. Unfortunately, uh, soccer has a extraordinarily hard time escaping geopolitics, both historically and currently. It is such an international game t- tied into so many people's national identity that um, of all sports, it is far more likely to be dragged into geopolitical conflicts. Uh, than traditional American sports. Wouldn't you agree, Brett? Yeah, absolutely. And we, I mean, we actually kind of talked about that as a pro in some ways when we did, when you gave, you know, kind of your impassioned pitch of why you should be a fan in the first place is you do get a little more of a link to the culture and the geopolitical ramifications of certain areas. And in a lot of ways, it can add some flavor to it. And this way, obviously, as you're going to talk about, it's going to be, it's not going to be a positive. Yeah. So look, as I said at the top, and as everybody obviously knows, all the real victims of what's happening in the Ukraine are in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And their houses are being shelled right now, and they're sleeping in subway stations, huddling with their kids, afraid for their safety. Or they're walking, you know, hundreds of miles, praying they get to a border unmolested and able to cross and get into safety. I mean, what we're seeing in that region of the world right now is absolutely terrifying. And that's where the real uh, victims lie. And I don't want anybody to ever think what I'm saying is going to be contradictory to that. Um, But, you know, for the rest of the world, it's not like my mental health hasn't been unaffected. Uh, And I find solace in sport. I mean, I do what I do for a living because it's my most impassioned hobby and it's what I like to do with my free time. And it's where I like to find my escape. And in this current situation, uh, there isn't an escape. And like there was, there was for two hours watching the Carabao Cup. I mean, like I spent Friday, my mental health's not great. It wasn't great before everything uh, happened with Chelsea's team. Like I spent Friday night Googling strategic nuclear uh, strike places in the United States. I mean, that wasn't something I was doing the Friday night before that. Like this is scary for mm-hmm. all of us. Uh, and watching that Carabao Cup game, I found a happy spot for two hours just watching such an unbelievable banger of a match. Like, yes, it is a minor cup, but Liverpool and Chelsea did not treat it like one. And they went 
full out and played the most entertaining 0-0 game I could ever imagine watching, full of amazing performances, full of incredible narrative, uh, full of back-and-forth action, full of horrible refereeing that robbed Chelsea, and then full of Keppa coming on and creating <laughs> just an everlasting Keppa. legacy that we'll never forget. Doing us all a favor and answering the question eternally, could I ever perform worse than a professional athlete given the chance? Uh, we now have a definitive answer that I could not have performed worse. Neither could you, <laughs> neither could anybody walking the planet. Uh, because when you face 11 penalty kicks and you give up 11 goals and then you miss your own penalty kick, by definition, there is no you're, worse performance. You're a fucking so all legend. All I can ever do is talk. You're a legend at that point. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I would be a legend too if I put on that jersey and gave the same performance walking out of the stand. So, like, it's great. Thank you, Keppa, for making it all um, make us all feel like we could be on the biggest stage in professional sport. Uh, but, you know, obviously a lot has happened after that game, and, that, and that's what I'll, I'll, I'll briefly address now. Uh, Roman Abramovich is obviously not without sin. Um, wherever his money came from originally that allowed him to acquire uh, both Chelsea and billions and billions of dollars, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there are people out there who do know. I'm sure that there are people that have done deep investigations. I'm sure people that feel like they have the answers. I'm guessing they're not the people on soccer Reddit who are just hammering uh, him for for his background. I'm guessing they're not the people on Twitter who want to just talk crap about Chelsea. I'm guessing they haven't done the deep research to find out the answer because I don't know. I mean, I imagine it was probably, probably bad. Um, but I also know that since this whole thing happened, at least it's been reported that the Ukraine called him asking him to help for peace. I know that his daughter spoke out against Putin. I know that in his statement he just gave, he's one of the only oligarchs to actually refer to what Putin is doing as a war and not something that's coming out of language out of the Kremlin. I know that he has been the greatest owner in all of sport for the last 20 years. I know that he is taking a three, four billion dollar asset and essentially walking away from it with zero dollars into his own pocket. I know that he has pumped billions of dollars that he's now forgiving in loans to the club. And I know that the money that he's making off of this sale is going to help fund the Ukraine refugees and the, the victims of that horrible war. Uh, so let's at least say that it's complicated uh, and not that this is like as clear cut as some have made it out to be. So like speaking from a geopolitical sense, yes, I am absolutely sure that he has his sins and maybe I have benefited over the last 20 years from some of his ill-gotten gains. I also know that if you want to start talking about ill-gotten gains, uh, get in line. There is a lot of ill-gotten gains throughout the world and we as Americans are all derivative of them at some point. Uh, I mean, go back and look at the history of the country if you want to think more about what I just said. So I am so torn about it, but I'm also so sad about it because sport is my escape and because he is the single greatest owner in the entire world. If you are a fan of his team strictly from sport. And I know that now whoever we get by definition, just like by, by definition, I couldn't have done worse than Keppa will be worse than Roman. And I also know that just like a, a kid who's afraid of a dog, there's a reason why you're afraid of it. 
or like an adult who's afraid of a dog, whatever it might be. They were probably had a bad incident in their past that involved a dog. And you know what? I have been absolutely mauled by Daniel Snyder for the, my entire life, <laughs> rest of my life since he bought the team. And we loved our owner at the at the uh, calling him the Washington football team. I'm not calling him the commies, partic- particularly right now during this speech. Um, we've been mauled by him. And we had an owner, Jack Kent Cook, that we absolutely loved beforehand. And we were one of the proudest franchises in all the sport. And now that's all gone. And so those of those of you who think that like, oh, somebody else will just buy the team and the wheels will keep spinning and all those sorts of things. I don't know that everything I've said that I do know, I do know. But I don't know that because I don't know what it's going to be. And perhaps because of the ill-gotten gains, we deserve this. Uh, we, maybe you feel like we're getting our comeuppance. But as somebody who, you know, sadly, along with my friends and my family, relies on sport as an escape from for, you know, my enjoyment of my life. Um, I'm, we're facing an uncertain time and, you know, in the midst of all this other uncertainty, uh, it sucks. We're not victims. All the victims of this war are real victims. Uh, but, you know, it's unfortunate that it came to this. And I, no matter where that money came from, from an owner perspective and from a sports perspective, I just want to thank Roman Abramovich for all that he has done for Chelsea Football Club for this badge, for this team that he completely loves. And I want it to be recognized that the way he's walking away from this, whether you think he's doing it out of fear, sanctions, or anything else, I don't think there's a whole lot of billionaires in the world that would walk away from 3 or $4 billion and or just take it, completely donate it back in to the opposite side of the conflict that everybody thinks that he's on. So uh, going forward, I guess it's somewhat exciting a little bit. It's going to be a completely new era. Maybe we'll have stability. Maybe Thomas Tuchel will be given the space to lead a Klopp or Pep-esque project. I've never seen that as a fan at Chelsea. Maybe that'll be exciting. Maybe this will be something like Liverpool or uh, or, Manchester City is a whole other thing because of the oil money. But maybe it'll be a transition that has, you know, a conglomeration of people that come in and run it well and we continue to be a highly successful club. But maybe this turns into Manchester United and it's turned into a piggy bank. Maybe this turns into Arsenal. Maybe this turns into Nottingham Forest. Maybe this turns into Fulham. Maybe we are down in a couple of years. I have no stinking idea what is going to happen. Um, I do know that Newcastle is probably going to be the new Chelsea, and that'll be fun to actually be somebody who gets to point at somebody else and talk about them <laughs> uh, spending all the money and buying their way to titles with a very questionable ownership group. Um, but I don't know, guys. I don't know. I, I wish I... I wish I could say something so profound right now that everybody could just, you know, close their earbuds and turn it off and be like, man, you know, it's going to be be all right. But we're entering a great unknown, both as a society, uh, both as a United States, both as a world. And it's extended to sport and it's impossible to ignore that. And, um, you know, I pray for peace just like everybody else. I pray for some of the stability we had 10 days ago. And I pray for some normalcy, but most of all, I pray for the people of Ukraine because they need it more than everybody else. It's just trickling down to the rest of us. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I will say this to wrap up. Um, so, you know, something I thought a lot about is Alshir Usmanov, who basically is Farad Moshiri's uh, Everton's owner, right-hand man. 
Everton had a lot of weird kind of shady money come in because Moshiri had all these partnerships with Uzmanov. His yacht got seized today. And I was even on Twitter being like, you know, good, fuck him, like, and fuck Everton for like taking this money, right? But I even ended it saying, I'm, I don't, I would like to think that if I had gotten as much joy out of Everton, if they had not spent Usmanov's money on Davy fucking Clausen, instead bought players that won him trophies and made me care about what they were doing and not just, you know, playing out the string when they finished in 11th place, you know, I agree. Life is, life is hard, man. Like for a lot of people and, and we're probably saying this and I know my lights look like they're off. I swear it's not as dark in here as it looks. Um, but you know, we're, you know, we're, we're in very fortunate situation in Ukraine. People do not have power. They do not have lights and their lives are incredibly difficult, but even the average day to day, especially everything that's been going on in the world, you know, it's great to have a release. It's great to not have to feel like you have to morally be on top of every decision um, with where your interests lie. And, you know, so when that happened, I just was more thankful that like Everton was bad. So I didn't have to make the choice (laughs) of doing that. Right. Like I didn't have to say, God, I got so much joy, but man, that guy, you know, he had some things about him that weren't great. Um, And so I get it. Like, I understand it. It sucks that you have to have that kind of internal conflict because, you know, you're a good, you're a good dude. I hope it doesn't ruin your, your street cred here among the people. But like it does, it sucks that you have to have this kind of internal strife to be like, well, I enjoyed this, but yeah, maybe I shouldn't have, or maybe I should have, or whatever, um, because it just makes things always more complicated. Life's already complicated enough. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, we'd like to get back to a point where we can just enjoy shit. And I think, you know, for all of us this weekend, you know, we're going to be thinking about the people that are truly impacted by everything that's going on, giving them thoughts, supports. You know, uh, I'm not a, a God person, but for people that do, prayers. Um, and then for us, just trying to go enjoy the sport of soccer, enjoy the title race, enjoy the relegation battle and just do your best to, you know, get through and let that be a release again. Yeah. Well, I'm reading hours and hours of news coverage of what's happening over there. And then hours and hours of news coverage, what's happening, uh, in the sporting world and never before really in my lifetime have there been such overlap in uh in the situation so thank you for letting me vent i mean this is just straight therapy for me guys as i said like my my mental health's a little bit shaky um little to do with sport but now a little bit more to do with sport so i'm sorry if that was a little bit rambling uh i don't mean to get too political on this podcast because we try to stick to sports uh but in this case i just had to get that off my chest so thanks for listening as for the game um, given everything that's going on and given Burnley's affinity for somehow junking things up, I can absolutely see this ending in some sort of draw. Uh, so I think more likely than not, Chelsea ekes out a win here, but with the odds of plus 310 on the draw, given everything else going on, I feel that's the better place to put your money. Uh, also, because of all the distractions and because of the style of play on the prop side, I would take under two and a half goals, minus 125. Um, Burnley has been really frustrating for top teams to play since the turn of the year. They beat Spurs 1-0. They held pool to one goal in a 1-0 game. Uh, Arsenal was 0-0. Man U was 1-1. Their first game with Chelsea was 1-1. Manchester City back in October was 2-0. All of those goals, those games went under two and a half goals. Uh, just for whatever reason, they are so frustrating that they tend to play these, you know, kind of damp squid of matches. And so if I'm getting close to a coin flip that this is another one under two and a half goals, particularly given uh, all the circumstances around the game, I'm going to go ahead and take that. 
I'm going to go the other way with you, man. I'm going to trust your boys to keep things on the pitch and play well. So I'm just going to take the Chelsea clean sheet win. I got to do it, man. Good team. Good thing. Tuchel's back on a shit. Hopefully they can stay focused on soccer with everything that's going on around the club. Uh, but plus 135 for Chelsea to shout out a, a Burnley team that doesn't score very much. That's where I'll go. And we'll end on the five pine pickoff and make you happy because you can talk massive shit about me. And I'm going to be happy Saturday at 10 a.m. I mean, I support the badge. I support the club. I don't over the players, over the owners, over everything else. And so for that two hours Saturday morning where I get to watch them play, no matter how bad the game is, that's going to be one of the best parts of my week because I love the club and I always will. Uh, so for the five pint pickoff and for my Afrigo shit talking, um, I beat you again. I beat you again. So February ended with me beating you 16-7 and you not having any utilities, which is so sad. I can't even see you right now. This is like watching the light go out of your eyes and the rest of everything else around you. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Harry Kane just scored a goal to get you your power back on, apparently. Um, But winning February does make it three out of four months for me. Uh, However, giving my boy credit, you had such a huge December when you were up 25 units. You're still actually up two pints on me for the year, even if I've won three out of four months and I'm drinking on your dime over and over again. But (laughs) we are both still in the positive, shocking the world. So if you're betting the portfolio, you're buying some beers for yourself. For this week to kick off March, uh, I am going with uh, five different bets again. So one pint each on the following. Arsenal. Clean sheet win, plus 160. Manchester United, Manchester City, both teams to score. The yes at minus 120. Tottenham and Everton, over two and a half goals, minus 130. West Ham, plus a goal and a half at plus 100. And Chelsea Burnley, under two and a half goals at minus 125. How are you going to lose to me this week, Brett? I'm not. Uh, as, as now we can, now we can see, because I clearly can't tell when the sun sets that my building doesn't matter if the sun sets at six forty-five. we have lights on. And so when you <laughs> set up a GoFundMe, set it up for Toby, get him some beer. He needs it. <laughs> no one needs to fund my yeah. lights. They work. They, you are my personal, out. you are my personal GoFundMe. I don't need <laughs> anybody true. else. None of the listeners you never in. will have to pay right. for another drink your entire yeah. life. Like this is, no. you're set up perfectly. As long as this podcast exists, you will be getting free beer for life. <laughs> That, um, that Chelsea game Saturday morning, we'll have at least one, probably two Guinnesses to go along with it, courtesy of you, friend. <laughs> there we go, man. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep mine a little bit simpler. Um, I'm gonna ride your boys, Chelsea. I'm gonna have some faith, man. Uh, plus one thirty five, two pints for the clean sheet win. Harry Kane. I said it's gonna be the thing that keeps my power on. Plus one ten for two pints for the anytime goal scorer. Um, and then the last one. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I got to go big, man. I just, I got to, because I'm going to hit one of these and it's going to feel so good. And I'm going to enjoy <laughs> that beer that you send me so much, but the no score tie plus uh, 1300 in the Manchester city Dar- in Manchester Derby. I got to go for it. I got to put a pint oh on God. it because when it hits and I'm counting those 13 pints towards my total, I'm going to be fucking talking to you. Oh, it, I'm never going to shut up, man. I'm never going to shut up. You're just going to, you're so- going to have to mute me. Spoken like a guy who took a zero in January. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the listeners want to mute both of us, especially after my rambling take on Chelsea. So let's go ahead and wrap up there. Uh, really excited for this weekend. Really excited to have some soccer games to distract all of us. 
and uh, really excited to see how things evolve in the next week. And hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll evolve in a positive direction and some sanity and civility will return to the world. So until that time, uh, you have heard neither sanity nor civility on this podcast, but we welcome you to come back next week for our interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Enjoy the games, folks. Take care, y'all.